What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to episode number 184 of the VK Bros with Jason and Alex Von Cannell. On a very significant day in recent history, as today is the day that Tucker Carlson dropped his interview with Vladimir, well, Vladimir, Vladimir Putin. Uh, how are you going first, though, Alex, before we get into that? Well, something more significant is it's a couple of days after you went viral on social media. <laughs> yeah, well, that's pretty significant too. So to any of the new followers that we've got on Instagram who've joined welcome. us, welcome. Thanks for, thanks for coming. It's nice to have you here. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the relatively polite discussion in the comments on Insta. I've been trying to be as, uh, as welcoming as possible because at the end of the day, and this is probably the message that I want to get out to everyone who is on, say, the red pill side, the only way that we bring people into the fold and prevent this sort of thing from happening again is if you give people an off-ramp to their bad, old bad ideas and to come forward into the new good ideas and to bring everyone together. Being, I understand that we're all pretty... Uh, we all want retribution, right? We, we, we were all proven right and we want to hear it from people. We're probably not going to get it. The second best thing that you could get is accepting people back into the fold so we can all stop fighting with each other and focus on the real enemies. So for all of you new uh, listeners, welcome. Really, really happy to have you here. Follow us on Rumble. Yes, follow us on Rumble. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so a couple of things we're going to go through today. The most important thing that we're going to discuss is Tucker Carlson's interview with Vladimir Putin. I just listened to the entire two-hour interview and it's very, very it's got some very interesting things in it. Um, Alex has just brought up for any of our audio listeners on screen just a uh, the actual clip itself. So Tucker Carlson interviewing Vladimir Putin in the Kremlin in Russia. Now you you began watching the interview, didn't you? But you only got about an hour in. So right? I'm an hour in. Yeah, yeah, I'm an hour in. So we aren't only going to talk about this. We're also going to be speaking about uh, some interesting developments in the say mRNA cancer space after this too. So stay tuned for that. But I thought this interview was really, really significant. And the first thing that I want to say is one of the most interesting things to me about this interview is not the interview at all. It has been the Western media's uh, reaction to... Pre-action. Yeah, pre-action, that's right, to Tucker doing this interview in the first place. It's been massive. Uh, there are calls to... Uh, ban Tucker's, oh, basically take away his American passport. There are calls from the EU to issue a travel ban to Tucker Carlson so he can't travel through the EU. All for the crime of a journalist doing journalism and interviewing a world leader who is involved in one of the most significant conflicts of our time and sat down with him for two hours straight. Should we watch the pre... The pre his short preamble on it yeah if you want to if you want to play that that's well, keep, keep talking because i have to yeah while you bring that up so i was just going to say to um i deliberately didn't cut any clips from the interview to show you on the show today guys because i think that you're number one you're already going to see that all over like x or other social medias but number two it was a it was an extremely long interview with very well thought out points and I just don't want clips to be taken out of context. I think if you care at all about global affairs, it's really worth 
spending the two hours just to now when when i say when you want to listen to it um it's tucker interviewing him obviously in english uh vladimir putin speaking in russian and then it's live translated through a translator so it is like just listening to a normal conversation uh which made it very palatable to listen to but I think it's very, yeah, it is worth your time to listen to the in thing in its entirety, or at least even the first half of it. But um, yeah, if you want to play the preamble, Alex. Moscow tonight, we're here to interview the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin. We'll be doing that soon. Sorry, I don't know what, um, some buffering issues. Yeah. There are risks to conducting an interview like this. Uh, while, while that buffers, mm -hmm. oh, hold on, how would I drop that? How would I drop that down to that obviously so we thought about it carefully over many months here's why we're doing it first because it's our job we're in journalism our duty is to inform people this is that same issue that we've had mm -hmm. we're not going to listen to it fuck that yeah, fuck okay. You. okay um he basically says you've heard all the other stuff so you've heard you've had he countless interviews with Zelensky yep. about the Ukraine-Russia war uh, and no one has had anything, well, no one has spoken to Putin yep. now there was a little bit of you know, he's saying he's the only person that's done it, apparently people have lashed out and said well no, we've been asking for an interview for Putin and never had one mm -hmm. Tucker made a real point of saying that we're going to put this interview up, it's going to be uncut, unedited it's just going to be as long as it goes yeah, and I felt that in the hour that I've watched. Yeah, I, I did think not any edits. I did not notice any edits. The only thing that we can caveat it by saying is that because we're not native Russian speakers, whether the translation is exactly what Putin was saying, we can't really confirm or deny. I think yeah, because he, he did a section of Umbot by uh, uh, um, which I thought was the uh, Jonas. <laughs> Brothers, which I thought was really strange in the I, middle of it. I really thought he'd be more of a scat man guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so obviously we can't confirm exactly what it is he's saying. I would say that native Russian speakers would be outraged if there was any significant uh, differences in the message that were being put across. And I'm assuming that the translator is actually Putin's translator himself. It wouldn't be... Well, I went through the comments and I found some Russian comments and I translated them. And the Russian people were saying it's a very fair interview. Okay. Perfect, perfect. No, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with it. Cool. So, yeah, I, I, I took out some, some really key things from this, which might be different to what you guys take out of it, but here's, here are a few things. Number one, the fact that a leader sat down for two hours uninterrupted is massive. In the West, you would never see that happen. When was the last time a Western leader sat down for a two-hour uninterrupted interview with anyone? You would never see Albanese do it. ScoMo never did it. You would never see Joe Biden do it. He can't even handle one question that's not about ice cream. Like, what flavoured ice cream is your favourite? I think Trump sat with, was it CNN for 45 minutes? That's probably the longest one I've seen. The yep. longest one I've seen. Yep, so maybe Trump was the only other person in recent history who's really done this. But I thought that was extremely significant. Number one, and look, I just want to say this too. Let, let's get this off at the outset. Any of the things that I say about what Putin said is not my opinion. I'll tell you when I'm putting my opinion yeah. into it. I'm just reporting what he what he said and what he spoke about during the interview. I'm not saying he is right or he is wrong. Sure. 
these are just my, the things that I noticed. So, the, yeah, the fact that he is confident enough in his knowledge and his ability to sit down with a Western, a member of the Western press, and you could argue that Tucker Carlson is uh, an enemy of the mainstream media now, and he's therefore a more sympathetic ear to a Putin-type character. Like you just mentioned the Trump interview, that was a very abrasive interview. It was designed to try to get gotcha moments out of him. Um, but all in all, a two-hour long-form interview, it's, that's exactly what we've been asking for as a society for such a long period of time. With the explosion of Joe Rogan as one of the most key influential media figures on the planet, because of his long-form interviews, that's what we've been asking for. So mm. Putin delivered, essentially. Um, there were some other really interesting things just about him that I took out of. Number one, he is clearly a historian. So yeah. the the entire first half hour, so Tucker basically opens up by just trying to ask him a question about the Ukraine conflict. And Putin essentially opens it with a 30 to 40 minute history lesson. From 600 AD. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and detailed literally like a thousand years of Russian history and how that has all led up to this point that we're at. And I, for one, was really, really happy that he did that. Because I, I'm not deeply versed in Russian history. So for me, seeing that, you know, Russians and Ukrainians who are essentially the same people having these conflicts and stuff, I didn't know where a lot of that stuff came from. So the history lesson that he provided at the beginning, I thought actually added some very interesting context to the rest of the conversation. Yeah, that Hungary had a piece, that Poland had a piece. Yep. But it also shows you he gives a shit. Like, he actually cares enough to know the history of his own nation. And I, I've always wondered about which is the right way to go as far as having a leader. Is, it, is a Putin model where you've got the one figure running a country for 20 years at a time or 30 years or however long it's going to be by the time he retires so he can guide you through and play the long game? Or is it better to have what we have in Australia, for example, with three-year federal terms, where you're constantly playing, here's a new, new leader, here's a new leader, and it's all short-term thinking. I don't know what the answer is to that, but I thought it was very interesting to see that uh, he's clearly a historian, he knows the history of the country, he's obviously extremely patriotic and fond of, of Russia, um, and it also gave me an opportunity to understand his, essentially his mindset and how the history of his nation has has essentially formed his worldview, which mm. I thought was super interesting. Here's something else that I found really, really interesting about him. In almost the whole two hours, and Tucker did ask some very straightforward, pointed questions, particularly in regards to the war. Uh, also brought up, he asked him point blank, who blew up the Nord Stream pipeline? Tucker gave him multiple opportunities to criticize other western leaders so i'll give you an example one of the leaders uh, one of the examples that came up was when they're speaking about the fact that in uh, february 2022 russia and ukraine were at the negotiating table they had drawn up a peace agreement both parties had signed it and it was boris johnson from the uk who actually came over and told Zelensky to rip up the agreement and to fight russia instead of having the peace agreement and we knew that we reported on that we knew that yeah we've already spoken about it multiple times on the show 
And Tucker asked him, why do you think Boris Johnson did that? And that would be a... If it was a Western leader who was asked a question like that, they would do everything they could to destroy Boris Johnson's reputation. They yeah, would... you could rip his throat out. You, you, exactly. It, you, could, you could throw a scut, like a, a cluster bomb in there. Yep. They and... would read into it any motivation that was um, politically beneficial to him to win the propaganda war, like you could even make things up, like what happens in the West. But he didn't do that. So on multiple occasions... Tucker gave him the opportunity to essentially give us like a Western style beatdown of a Western leader. And at not one point did he actually speculate as to the motive of Western leaders and the decisions that they make. Oftentimes, he spoke of um, certain conversations that he has had between himself and another leader. And he would literally say maybe whatever his point was out of that conversation... And then Tuck would say, well, what did they say? And he said, this is not, like, ask them. Go and ask them what they said in response to that. It is not for me to divulge our conversation out in, in the public eye. And some of the, I remember that one of the ones was a Bill Clinton thing. Mm. And he's like, go and ask Bill. I'm sure Bill will be watching this. You can go and ask him, and I'm sure he'll answer. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. what he was referring to was, I think it was back in maybe 1998 or something like that, Um. Putin actually asked Bill Clinton if it was at all possible for Russia to join NATO. And originally, Bill Clinton said it was possible. And then he went back and spoke to some people, and then he told him that it was not possible anymore. And they would like basically tried to push Putin on, tell us more about that interaction. And he said, no, that's ask Bill Clinton about it. Which, again, I find fascinating, because look what the West is doing. The West is going into meltdown because Tucker Carlson asked Putin to, in his own words, explain his position on the war and on, on geo, his geopolitical uh, status. So Putin is literally saying, go and ask these people directly what it is they said. Let them explain it in their own words. He's not putting words in anyone's mouth. It's the polar opposite of what the West is doing. Yeah. Uh, just going back to where you started this, this conversation with is the pre the pre-blow-up yep. of... So, what we're talking about is... This, this This interview only came out four hours ago. Yeah. It's Friday at 1.30 now, mm-hmm. 1.30 in the afternoon. Now, the last couple of days, it's been... Like, everyone's reported on it, and some of the low blows that people have said about Tucker without seeing the thing, literally calling him a Russian puppet yeah uh, uh tying him to uh oh it's obviously the maga leader but donald trump it's his lapdog sending him over there because yeah. trump's mates with with putin and it has been yeah what, what super okay so a it's pathetic yeah right absolutely b you've just supercharged it. you've just streisand affected mm. this this is bigger than it ever would have been if you like, I don't think anyone would have known if people didn't talk about it. That's right. Um, and I think that... So on Rumble, it's at 250,000 views. And on YouTube, I think it was already at 700. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, 665,000 views from in three hours. Yeah. So it's nearly at a million views in three hours. But everyone reported on the last 24 hours. You have basically done a preview... For Tucker Carlson. Exactly. And 
it is something that the left side of politics, I don't think that they have learnt yet. So one of the people that I saw disparaging Tucker was Hillary Clinton. And Hillary Clinton was appearing on some lefty talk show, was asked about it, and she basically said, oh, well, you know, I think with Tucker, like for someone like him who's been, you know, fired from so many media organisations, like it's the same playbook, right? Discredit the person so that you won't believe the message. And again, Tucker didn't have any message. Tucker just asked questions. But it was literally, it's the same play that the, the West does about anyone they don't like is reputation destruction of that person so that the the normies who just um, go about their daily life go, oh, Tucker Carlson, Rus- Russian puppet. Well, I'm not going to listen to that interview then because he's just going to give all softball questions to Putin and let Putin push his Russian propaganda. Like, that's all this is in aid of. But can I give you my, can I give you my feeling about it? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I thought the... I thought the introduction of going through the history was interesting. He did have to bully, like Putin had to bully his way to finish it because Tucker kept trying to sort of hurry it up and like, how's this relevant, how's this relevant? He's like, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. Tucker mentions at the beginning of it that he thought that Putin doing that history lesson was like a filibustering technique to avoid the actual question and he kept interrupting him. But then at the end of it, he realised it wasn't at all. It was literally just to provide valuable context to the rest of yeah, the story. But something, and, and I think the, what he was trying to illustrate there was what we've spoken about, which is these lines that we draw in the sand do move. Yeah. You know, if you depending on what year you look up the map, there's different lines drawn. That's right. So I think he was, I think Putin was trying to basically illustrate that although you might know the Ukraine. As you know, you know, as it has been since, uh, like in, in your memory. Mm-hmm. But just so you know, over the last thousand years, it's shifted. That's right. Um, I also felt that he was trying to portray, although we all deem Putin as a strong, hard gangster, and I, I I'm still, I'm still watching it, so I, I still haven't. Uh, completely formulated my opinion on it. Yeah. I almost feel like he tried to position himself as, I don't want to say soft, but at least not, not submissive. Empathetic. But, emp- no, no, not, not empathetic. Because he was trying to position himself, like with that NATO thing. Mm-hmm. So he's like, can we join? Oh, and then you guys said we can't. Okay, well, we can't join, right? It was very much like, can we be a part of your civilization? Yeah. Oh, you won't let us in. That's what I kind of feel like he's trying to set up. Now, it could be that's genuinely how it feels, or he's looking for a bit of sympathy to say... Yeah, of course. Like, And it's, and it's just a tactic. It could so literally be either way. But just on that, that particular subject, I actually don't see why, given the history between, say, Russia and the US, and particularly around World War II... I don't see a reason why Russia shouldn't have been invited into the fold after that, because they were both working together against a common uh, enemy. It cost Russia far more than it costs anyone else. Yeah, yeah. Russia so, won the war. Yeah. So look, so you are you are right. Like, and at the end of the day, like that's why I wanted to put that caveat at the start of this conversation is that uh, when I'm saying about what Putin's talking about, this is Putin's opinion on things, and it is again. I'm not, I will tell you when I'm telling you what my opinion is on what is being said. 
You but should I'm, watch it. You should watch it yeah. because you've seen, like, I know it sounds like a big thing. It's two hours. We're coming into the weekend, so you got the weekend to do it. Yep. It is two hours. You've seen more than two hours of Zelensky's face. You've heard you've heard him repeat the same worship yep. rhetoric over and over and over. Get sent money. Yep. Give us credit. <laughs> sent missiles. <laughs> now you should hear from the other side. Absolutely. You should do that. You should you should express both sides. And if your response to Alex saying that initially is, well, nah, I shouldn't listen to Putin, check yourself. That's the yeah. exact problem. Yeah. Like, yeah, you yeah, yeah. absolutely should listen to the other side. Yeah. And if you find yourself not willing to do that, num- number one, check yourself on this particular thing and force yourself to do it anyway. Number two, ask yourself on what other subjects you're not willing to listen to the other side on. Mm-hmm. Like we, we spoke about this quite a few times that, you know, you and I started listening to, when in regards to COVID, we started listening to John Campbell's channel on YouTube early into COVID because early into COVID, he was spewing the government narrative. He was very scared of it. He was very pro-vaccine. So we literally forced ourselves to watch his content so we could be, we could have someone on the other side try to convince us of that position. We force ourselves to do that. Now, as luck would have it, he has a brain and he ended up coming around uh, to our side in the end anyway. But I literally watched him for months uh, when he was saying things that literally made me angry to hear him say, but I still forced myself to watch it. I did the same thing with Sam Harris. I was, uh, a friend of mine said, like, you got to listen to this guy. He's he's espousing the other side. I'm like, okay, I'll listen to it. I'll listen to it. Yep, yep. Now, he hasn't come on board yet (laughs) because he basically said, if the disease was way worse and the vaccine did way better and they were way less dangerous, then you want the government to do what they did. So I was right. Yeah. It's the same. He's exactly the same as when I used to play basketball. And for me, if every shot was slightly to the left, I would have scored 20 that game. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, should that... Can we tip now? Are, are you off the... No, there, there's a few other things I just wanted to mention about this. So in regards to the actual, the substance of what he spoke about, there's quite a few things that were interesting. But the main ones that I, I wanted to speak about was, number one, when he was pressured on Nord Stream 2 and who he thought blew it up, he basically said to him... Uh, Sorry, just before, can you explain quickly to new listeners? Yes, Welcome. okay what Nord Stream 2 is. So Nord Stream 2 is a natural gas pipeline that was set up between Russia and Germany and it was essentially for um, Russia to supply Europe with liquid natural gas. That pipeline got blown up by someone during, I think it was 2022, I think that happened. Yeah, well, and the news said it was Russia. Well, yes. So the so the Western news came out straight away and said that Russia blew up the Nord Stream pipeline, which made... Yeah, right. Yeah, which made zero sense at all because Russia uses the resources. Is that your phone ringing? Yeah, I think there's someone at my door. Ah, that's a bit awkward. Would you like to pause it and come back? Nah, it'll just be a post, the posty. Ah, fuck them. All right, so Russia essentially uses the sell the sale of oil and the natural resources to fund their war machine, right? Like we have heard also from the Western press about how they put the cap on how much you can pay for a barrel of oil from Russia to try to deplete their war chest of money. So when, anyway, when, so when that happened, the US government actually swooped in and picked up the contracts to supply Europe with natural gas and were selling it to Europe at four times the price of what Russia was selling it to them. So Tucker pressed 
Putin on this multiple times. Who blew up Nord Stream Pipeline? Do you have evidence of who blew up Nord Stream Pipeline? And again, he was at pains to say, uh, to not put motive in anyone else, like on anyone else. But what he did end up saying was, you just need to ask who benefits from that pipeline being blown up. Yeah. And essentially it not cripples, but it negatively affects Russia financially. It negatively, negatively affects Europe financially and also from an energy perspective and it massively assisted the US financially economically because they picked up those giant contracts to sell natural gas I mean we said like why would you blow your own pipeline up when you've got the off switch (laughs) you could just go off yeah absolutely so that was interesting but probably the most interesting part for me was he detailed the multiple betrayals from Ukraine, the West, and NATO in particular. Um, So just a few things about the war itself. He has said the entire time that this war has been going on that he's open to negotiations. As we said earlier in the show, they had a peace agreement signed in, I think it was February 2022, which Boris Johnson then came and blew that up. The other things that uh, you need to remember, Zelensky actually signed into law to make it illegal to negotiate peace with Vladimir Putin. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Now, that was one key difference which I noticed where I thought he was, that Putin was being a little bit underhanded. He said that Zelensky signed a law to, to ban negotiations with Russia for peace. Right. The law itself is actually banning negotiation with Putin himself. Or is that what we've been told... Like, which one's correct? We I, haven't seen the law. I don't believe so. I, I'm basing that off um, multiple credible commentators I have heard speak on the subject. Like, Scott Ritter has spoken about okay. this before. Um, so, yeah. But, but so, look, he's being a little bit underhanded by saying that because essentially what he is saying is that uh, I'm always going to be running Russia. So, they, they've essentially banned negotiations with Russia because I'm always going to be the figurehead. Whereas from Zelensky's perspective, and especially the US, they would love to see regime change. They would love to see Putin removed and a puppet put in, like a US-backed uh, puppet put in, just like Zelensky was. Uh, so then they could start those peace negotiations. But he reiterated, he has, Russia has always been willing to negotiate right from the very beginning. He also reiterated that sooner or later, that's the only way this thing is going to end, is at the negotiating table. Yeah. But he also went into, again, to detail the constant betrayal of the West and Ukraine with a few key dates. So in 1991, NATO promised Russia that they would not move one inch east. That was back in 1991. Uh, In 2008, NATO recognized Ukraine as independent and opened the opportunity for NATO entry to Ukraine. So that that was... Again, against all agreements made in the early 90s. And just for people that don't know, NATO is effectively an extension of US military. Yes. So, so it's supposed to be it's supposed to be all the uh, uh, all the groups that formed after World War Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, somehow Russia's not in it after winning it. Yep. But, um, and the idea was to like sort of divvy up Europe 
and and SADA Security Pact. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what the the something league was. Uh, the League of Nations. Yep. I think it was prior to that. It was called the League of Nations, then it turned into NATO. And Russia understood very early on that they're like, okay, this is just a US proxy. And yeah. you can tell because of the, the amount of funding they get. So everyone, you're supposed to you're supposed to donate a percentage of your GDP. It's 2%. 2% of GDP. 2% of your GDP to NATO to run it. Well, it's technically, it's every NATO nation must spend 2% of its GDP per year on defense, which essentially means every NATO nation gives 2% of its GDP to US weapons manufacturers every year. That's the number one reason why the US wants to continually expand NATO because they directly profiteer out of it. Yeah, but US is something is paying something like 90% of NATO's. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but the the key thing about that 2008 uh, issue of NATO declaring independence of Ukraine and opening the opportunity for them to join NATO, that was 10 years after that conversation that Putin had with Bill Clinton about Russia potentially joining NATO, where they were told no. So, again, looking at it from Putin's perspective, we asked to join, we were allies in World War II, we asked to join, NATO has said no. Why are you now opening up negotiations for Ukraine to join, even though it was always part of the agreement back in the early 90s for NATO not to move an inch to the east? Then you had the um, military, uh, sorry, the, the US-led coup in 2013-14, which actually led to the installation of Zelensky as leader in the first place, uh, and also the signing of the Minsk Agreement between... Ukraine and Russia to because Ukraine was bombing um, certain Russian parts of Ukraine. So they signed the Minsk Agreement in 2014, which then Ukraine continuously ignored for the next eight years while they continued to bomb those regions. Then you've had, obviously, going up to that 2022 peace agreement, which they signed, both parties signed, and then Boris Johnson told Ukraine to rip it up. So... Like you said before, he might just be trying to paint himself out as the sympathetic victim figure in this case. But the thing is that all of these things that he mentioned, they are documented. These aren't We've made been reporting up the things. same thing. There's nothing new that we haven't reported here. That's right. And I guess for any of you who are not sympathetic to, to what Putin's saying and his position on these things, you just have to do the, I'll put the shoe on the other foot. What would the US do to anyone who essentially disobeyed all all these sorts of direct agreements over such an extended period of time. The US would just invade these countries. Absolutely. I mean, they do it now with no justification. They just make the justification up afterwards. Yeah. So you are right. He may just be trying to paint himself and and people who are anti-Russia, anti-Putin would just say it's all propaganda and he's just trying to undermine the West. And to a degree, that is correct as well. At the end of the day, whoever wins the information war will end up winning the hearts and minds of the people, and that will greatly dictate as to how these things finish up. Um, But again, those detailed, continuous betrayals from Ukraine and particularly the West towards Russia, you know, this is my opinion. I can can 100% cop where he was coming from with that. At the end of the day, like, 
you know, the... <sighs> a deal should have been done. A yeah. deal should have been done. Well, deals were done and then deals were broken. And when you break yeah. deals, there's consequences and yeah. we are seeing the consequences now. So to, to wrap up that particular portion, I would say that anyone should go and watch that interview. It yeah. is very interesting, but more importantly, it is part of history that you need to see now while it's still available to be seen. Because with all the censorship we've experienced in the last few years, I would not be surprised at all if either that interview gets destroyed at some point or Tucker Carlson's reputation gets destroyed to so much point that they take away any uh, any weight that that interview may have had in the first place. All right. Now, I wanted to... You used COVID as a thing before, which would have given me a nice segue. Right. So now we have a not-so-nice segue into COVID. Yep. This is a quick report. It's only five minutes. I want to play it, if it works, on YouTube from Arthur Yemeni from Rebel News. Mm -hmm. And just in regards to a case, a, a COVID lockdown case that... Um, I think we should pay close attention to. So before you play the clip, does does this clip go into the original um, incident that happened in the first place? It'll give you enough context. Okay, because I know this guy. I haven't seen this clip, but I know this guy. So it, yeah, you'll be able to, you'll be able to figure it out. Right. Okay. Yeah. Let's let's go play it. They've literally said on the record, it's in all the transcripts that they will provide affidavits, and now they're saying that they're that they're not going to be providing affidavits and they're telling us that they've already told us multiple times why do you think that is why do you think that they don't want to provide it i think they just don't have any evidence that's what i believe i, I believe they they can't provide the um the evidentiary material because it doesn't exist i'm your mini for rebel news back in melbourne australia and as promised i am here with nick patterson to keep you up to date with his case, the case that's known probably around Australia as the fight against police corruption. There is an update, a small update, plus something you got planned. Tell us first, Nick, what's the update? Well, last time we were on, we did a report, we, we were discussing how the, um, the prosecution were ordered to provide all of this material, evidentiary material, including affidavits from Brett Sutton and and potentially Jenny McCarkos, the former health minister. Now, they were ordered to provide this by the 15th of last month. They never provided it. They didn't even email us to apologise either and say, look, we're sorry, we're, we're, we're under the pump. Can you pause you know, it? We can't, we can't get to it. So... Um, just something I wanted to mention just briefly, because I was going to bring it up in the show a couple of weeks ago, but didn't. Did you know that Brett Sutton won Australian of the Year? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway... Continue. We sent them an email a couple of days later and then we received an email from them basically saying that they're not going to provide us with these affidavits. They're going to provide us with a certificate under Section 225 of the Health Act, which has no relevance to me doing a collateral challenge to the state of emergency because we need evidence um, in the form of an affidavit so that we can cross-examine Brett Sutton and Jenny McCarkos or any other minister that um, might be relevant to our, to our challenge. Then, further on in the email, it said that, this is from the prosecution as well, that it had been reiterated to us that the prosecution would not be adducing any evidence directly from the um, former Chief Health Officer or former Health Minister. 
Now, that's never been reiterated to us. It's never been iterated to us. Uh, this is the first time we've heard of that because in all of the cases where we've discussed in detail this collateral challenge, which we have a right to, to do, to challenge the validity of the, of the state of emergency, um, every time we've discussed it, the prosecution has agreed that they would be providing affidavits from these people. And now they're, they're not providing it and they're going to try to give us something different. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that they don't want to provide it? I think they just don't have any evidence. That's what I believe. I, I believe they, they can't provide the, um, the evidentiary material because it doesn't exist. Uh, we don't need to listen any further. It's basically what we've reported here, right? What did... Now, there was in relation to lockdowns in Victoria and basically saying that it, it was not warranted, it was not legal for, for uh, a government to lock people in their homes and add curfews and we had said before like what, what did everyone lean on what did every minister lean on every day when they came out what did they say before any decision it was the based on the health advice and it was a state based, the state of emergency based on the health advice so one one important piece of context that i want to give so nick patterson's case this is not the only case that he has had to bring forward. So this actually all sprung back from um, he was a he was a very vocal uh, anti-lockdown protester during the lockdowns in Melbourne, to the point where police knew who he was. Uh, and there is video footage, and you can look this up on Rebel News. They've the Avi's Avi's had clips of this before, but. Essentially, Nick and his friends were at an anti-lockdown protest. The police knew who he was and told him and his particular group of friends to move on. They were complying with that order. They were walking away from the police. And then uh, a group of police officers basically followed the group and then charged over and started a physical altercation with Nick and his friends. And a full-on punch-up started out. And due to that I think Nick was put in prison for 30 days or something like that if I remember correctly I, I could be wrong on some of the details but that's essentially what kicked off all of these legal proceedings because the first case was essentially they were trying to charge Nick and his friends with assault of a police officer and then during that initial court case what ended up coming out was hey they had to show the body cam footage and the body cam footage clearly shows that these police knew who they, they were targeted them and actually instigated the physical altercation themselves so is that the one where they said that's him yeah yeah and they literally ran across the road and started bashing him and his mates and they they fought back to protect themselves and you you might be able to find that clip while while we discuss this bit but that was essentially the first part of this case so they one of the tactics that that the victorian police in particular used during all the lockdown protest times is they would arrest someone they would take them back to the station on some form of charge that was that was based on the um, state of emergency and then they would give them they would offer them bail but they would give you certain bail conditions and the bail conditions were things like not allowed to attend any more protests not allowed to post on social media like they were very restrictive of an individual's rights just to get bail for a crime that was only 
are only applicable under state of emergency conditions. So the whole thing was all based on these magic powers that the police state had been given by this state of emergency. Mm. So, so anyway, when that court case went through, all of those charges have been, have been dropped. And then essentially now Nick, in response to that, launched countersuits against the Victoria police for, okay, here you go. So you've got the footage here throwing punches at him it was disgusting and then we obviously saw that and we went to defend our mate and then i got put in prison for 29 days yeah 29 days there you go it wasn't just um you know one of the members of our group there was a number of our members of our group actually called out to the uh police crossroads here. just the audio viewers there's literally a guy just walking i think his hands are in his pockets yeah so there's one friend who is in front of the group and the rest of the group is probably 10 meters behind him and now you've got two cops running across the road there's obviously because one's a body cam that's right yeah they're running to him like like they've they've chopped they've run over like four lanes of road yep at this guy who's got his hands in his pockets going home we just want to go home we were told to go home and they ran across the road and started, they violently assaulted my mate who was about 10 metres ahead of me. You just punched him in the face? Yeah. Now there's probably one, two, three, four, five, six, there's probably seven police right now. They didn't care that we were going home. So they've run across the road and they've proceeded to bash up my mate who's not violent at all not a violent guy no reason for it now people will ask well why'd you run towards police because I saw my mate being assaulted by the police I don't care that they're police doesn't matter who they are if they're assaulting someone they're no longer police okay they're just violent criminals it was targeted we know it was targeted they knew who I was and they went after me keep your eye on the bloke with the puffer the puffer jacket that's Patterson see so I knew exactly who he was someone's good and they do good things, you know, you, you, you give them the respect. People do bad things, like run across the road as police officers, and which makes them, I think, more accountable, much more accountable, and violently assault someone. Well, you know... So he's walking... I mean, he's, the, these two police have jumped in front of this guy and just pushed him in the chest back. Yeah. And the, these guys, like, they looked... The, they were walking just on the road. I'm not going to have but, any respect for that. It. The, but the thing that you need to reiterate, they were told to move on. They were complying yeah. with the move on order. And then the police have gone in front of them to cut them off to start this physical altercation. And as we knew we saw were before, be they were win. like, watch out for the guy in the puffer jacket. That's Patterson. So they knew who he was. In, in the battle, the physical battle, they had capsicum spray, battens. They, they outnumbered us. But it was just to do the right thing. You know, bear one another's burdens that they may be light, run in to defend our mate who's the innocent innocent man in the um, in the equation there's 10 or 15 they were all criminals we, we were innocent my mate was innocent and he didn't there was no reason don't need much more of it yeah but, but that gives you the actual valuable context as to what started this in the first place so Nick won- but, the, but the thing but the smart thing about like Nick Nick's not a dumb guy no so he not. so he's kind of he's playing the smart game and saying Hey, show us why we were supposed to be curfewed and why police are allowed to move us on from a public area. And the police have said, well, it was the health advice. Yeah. Okay, show us the health advice. But this is the most interesting thing about this entire situation for me is 
it only it's only gotten this far because the police assaulted him in the first place. Yeah, right. If the police never assaulted him and put him in pri- and wrongfully imprisoned him, there would have been no initial court case to get this ball rolling. But then once he won his initial court case to get the charges against him thrown out, then he was able to sol- to sue the police force for um, assault, wrongful imprisonment, uh, and whatever other aspects of the case are involved. And then now, obviously, he can take it even further because what are the police trying to do in that case? Well, they're trying to defend themselves, saying that their actions were lawful under the state of emergency. All right, prove it. Because now yeah. you have to prove it. And so what, what they're talking about in this latest clip that you've brought up is um, un- when, it, when things go to court, under discovery, you need to be able to show certain information that the opposition requests from you. And now the government is refusing to provide that information, even though they stated that they would in the first place. It's very, very interesting. Mm. So we'll, we'll keep you posted on that one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, do you want to just move on to the next story, something that you sent me yesterday? Um, which I just think is a story that we do need to track and we do need to pay attention to. So don't go to... Oh, yes, so this one. So scroll in slightly. Um, this I is... have to say, I signed up to... I, I bought a Ground News subscription. Okay, cool. Um, I'm testing it out. I'm still getting used to it because I, I don't really do much stuff in apps these days. Like right. Everything's usually uh, a web feed. And yep. I might see if I can get like an RSS feed to, to make it a bit, a bit cleaner, but... It is a very good way for those that don't know, and I should be speaking. Um, give us some money, Ground News. But what Ground News does is aggregates all the news about a particular subject yeah. and places it in basically if it's left bias, right bias, if it's center. How, like, is it a blind spot for the left? Is it a blind spot for the right? Yeah. So I think it's a very, very powerful tool just to give you great context to know if you're seeing the right story. The same story gets written 150 times all from different points of view and this is a great way to sort of say okay where where are the biases in these stories yeah but this particular story and we only really need to talk about the headlines on it so the actual headline itself is global cancer cases to rise by more than 75 percent by 2050 the world health organization predicts in the key figure it says global cancer diagnoses are projected to increase by 77 percent to 35 million cases in 2050 compared to 20 million cases in 2022 according to the World Health Organization. Factors such as obesity, tobacco use, alcohol use, and air pollution are driving the expected increase in cancer rates. Inequities in cancer services exist, with higher-income countries more likely to include lung cancer-related services in their health benefits packages compared to lower-income countries. Now, we don't need to continue about the rest of the article. The most important part of the article is that it's the World Health Organization who is predicting such a significant increase in cancer rates and they can blame things like alcohol tobacco air pollution etc 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 however the issue that i have with blaming those particular items apart from the giant elephant that's in the room that we all know what we're talking about which we can get into later is this number one um, tobacco usage overall is massively decreasing uh year on year compared to where it was 10 years ago 15 years ago etc Um, I mean, look, New Zealand's just banned cigarettes, right? No, oh, sorry, they just brought it back, man. haven't they? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Gotta but, get that sweet, sweet tax money. Yeah, but essentially, young people's uh, view of cigarette and tobacco products is far less favourable than it was 10, 20 years ago. Alcohol is exactly the same. Um, you got guys I can't like... can't afford alcohol in Australia. The fucking tax went up. And 
in a $55 carton of beer in Australia, the government gets $25 plus GST. Yeah. That is outrageous. So just, just to put it in context, if for every beer that is produced in Australia, the government gets more for that than the person that made it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That's crazy. The government essentially gets to drink half your beer, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and tobacco is no different. Like the, the tax on cigarettes is, is obscene. So just yeah. even from an economics perspective, everyone wants to talk about how young people can't afford anything these days. Well, they can't afford alcohol and cigarettes either. And they are looking at healthier alternatives. Yeah. Um, the obesity got cop. Obesity's gone up. Yep, sure. absolutely cop obesity for sure. Um, oh, how much tax is on ultra processed food? Yeah, not enough. Maybe we should increase that too. Hmm. Um, the air pollution thing. Well, aren't we trying to go towards this like net zero by twenty fifty thing? Yeah. So I check. I check the air quality index that's on uh, on Google, and our air quality is just fine. Yes. That's so cool. so in other, in other words, three out of the four reasons that the World Health Organization gives for a seventy five percent increase in cancer rates by twenty fifty you can basically rule out as bullshit. So that only leaves one real reason why cancer rates uh, may be increasing, which is the mRNA vaccines. Well, uh, so I wanted, to, I wanted to say it like this. Wasn't it interesting, the percentage that they picked for the uptick in cancer rates was so close to what the double-dose vaccine status is for the developed world. That's a very interesting perspective, Alex. That's as soon as I saw it. As yeah, soon as I saw it, yeah. I was like, it's going to go up by 70%, 77%, whatever the number is. I'm like, that's the double dose rate. Yeah. The double dose rate is 77%. Yeah. So maybe they've nailed it. Now, look, for new for new viewers, like what are we talking about? Um, we've, we've covered many different studies on the show in recent history about how um, there has been a massive rise in the cases of these things that, that a lot of doctors are calling turbo cancers, which is essentially super aggressive cancers that by the time that they're discovered are already in like stage three or four, which have sort of appeared from nowhere and are appearing in people much younger than you would typically expect. And this rise in turbo cancers has coincided with the release of the mRNA vaccines. The theory being that um, repeated doses of mRNA vaccination along with um, potential exposures to COVID has put so much pressure on people's immune systems that um, all of us have cancer cells in us all the time and our immune system can actually clean them up, contrary to popular belief. Where cancer starts to mess you up is when it tips out of balance. So the cancer grows to a point where it is it is so large that your immune system can't actually keep up with destroying the cells and that's when cancer starts to take over your body. And due to the um, down-regulation of people's immunity because of... It, essentially, it's immune exhaustion, right? Constant exposure to spike protein, either through COVID exposure or repeated vaccination doses, has dampened people's immune system so much that these turbo cancers are just starting to spring up from nowhere. You're susceptible to anything. And cancer's obviously the worst part. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and look, I can name you multiple cases from people in my um, my network that have experienced cancers, uh, either um, relapses of cancers that they've previously beaten over five years ago and brand new cancers in young people that should not be getting those sorts of cancers. So the thing that is interesting about this is it was also the World Health Organization who just so happened to push mandatory vaccination on every member state during uh, the pandemic 
and we've obviously covered the changes to the pandemic agreement that the World Health Organization is trying to push through, which is essentially is going to allow them to take control of uh, the pandemic response in any future health-related uh, pandemic of every member state. And their charter includes things such as lockdown, mandatory vaccination, etc. Now, so the World Health Organization's advice directly contributed to the wide-scale approval and mandating of experimental mRNA vaccines. And I just want you to bring up the next resource that I sent you. Uh, which, which one is it? So that's the one about mRNA vaccines for cancer. Ah, got it. Perfect. So... I'm only going to read the, the the start of this. So this is an abstract. Can you zoom in just slightly? One more, please. So this is from um, ACS Publications. And it was actually from, I think, 2022. Oh, no, here we go. Uh, 20th. Oh, no, that's not it. It's 2023, sorry. And, oh, sorry, just scroll up and I'll, oh, I can give you the title. Sorry, mRNA cancer vaccines, Constru construction and boosting strategies. So the abstract says this, in late 2020, the US Food and Drug Administration approved a lipid-based mRNA vaccine for the prevention of COVID-19, which, which has pushed this field to be more closely studied and motivated researchers to delve deeper into mRNA therapeutics. I, yeah, oh, first start. I saw a recent clip from uh, Bill Gates where he was essentially saying that uh, their plan moving forward, because mRNA is so easy to it's so cheap to produce it's easy to program they intend on essentially attempting an mrna vaccine for every disease that they don't currently have a vaccine for and plugging the gaps with mrna yeah man so i'll continue today the research on mrna cancer vaccines has been developed rapidly and substantial hopeful therapeutic results have been achieved against uh, various solid tumors in cl clinical trials in this review, we first introduced three main components of mRNA cancer vaccines, including mRNA antigens, adjuvants, and delivery vectors. So I'm not going to continue anymore. Why did I bring this up? So the World Health Organization and their policies directly benefited Pfizer and Moderna in particular by um, giving, giving weight to mRNA technology in regards to COVID. So they directly put hundreds of billions of dollars in those two companies' pockets by advocating for those uh, vaccines to be mandated all over the world. They're also coming out saying we're going to get a 75% increase in cancers. At the same time, a lot of pharmaceutical companies are currently in the development of mRNA vaccines against cancers. Oh, I wonder why. I wonder why. Follow the money. Who benefits? It's fucking outrageous. It is absolutely fucking outrageous. So not only did we, like we covered on the show a few weeks ago, did Pfizer buy a small biotech company so that they could go from having drugs to treat two out of the top 10 turbo cancers to seven out of the top 10 turbo cancers so they can directly profiteer from the potential mRNA-based cancer explosion that their own products created. But now you've got all of these other companies trying to cash in on the mRNA gold mine by getting out there with these cancer vaccines. So what do I think the World Health Organization's doing? I think that they are planting the seed in everyone's mind right now that cancer is going to be a massive issue moving forward. And if you don't have cancer right now, it's there's a 75% chance you're going to get it. Mm. So you better get vaccinated against it. Totally. This is the totally. next 
stage of profiteering from your health health uh, via subscription the, what's the over or unders on an mrna climate change injection coming dude i i don't think that can be far away <laughs> yeah at all i'm sure that you'll be able to get vaccinated against climate change at some point yeah you'll probably be um, able to get vaccinated against being cis too uh we've run long yeah i'm happy to wrap it up there if you like i'm happy to wrap it up i just want to i want to ask the audience if you've made it this far mm -hmm. thank you jason and i had spoken about doing a little uh a little segment but and i was actually prepared for it oh but, right right but no no but we don't have to do it it's not time sensitive cool but if there is an interest now mainly because i'm a bit of a nerd but also we're coming close to the next crypto super cycle mm -hmm. and what you're supposed to do in these cycles is start you know putting some plays in potentially some smaller cap altcoins yep to make some like really uh life-changing money yep and what what jason and i had spoken about doing is i'll do like a little book report on one just to get people so this is not financial advice no like, let's, let's, it's clearly not but, financial advice but what it is it gives you a basis of like what the things that you could look at to understand what it is that you're looking at if you're deciding to to pile into some of these things yeah I'll and i will just say this i will say this the reason why like a little bit of the catalyst is i spoke to a guy this week whose friend put in 10 grand at a particular time in 20, 2013 i think it was and, and he sold for 50 million dollars yeah so the okay i'm gonna say this number one i don't really care what the audience says we're gonna do this because this yeah. is our show and yeah. if the audience doesn't like it they can just switch that section off yeah. um and anyone who is a crypto enthusiast can come and watch that section and we would obviously love your feedback as well number two what i will say is one thing that's in the news space all the time at the moment particularly in australia is how young people are essentially locked out of the housing market how it is yeah. unattainable to get into the housing market and all the young people uh, want to talk shit at the boomers because all boomers did was buy a house when they were younger and hold on to it and live in it for 20 years and now they're rich. Crypto is your opportunity to do that. Totally. And it is a long-term investment. So Bitcoin is, to me, going to be the next housing market. So just the same as like, you know, what, what's Bitcoin at now? Like roughly 65,000 Australian? Uh, no, I think it's, it's actually on a, on a pump at the moment. In Aussie dollars, it's currently worth $70,900 Aussie, right. uh, 46,000 US. Right. So and it's about to have a pump too because it's very close to liquidating $150 million worth of uh, shorts on yep. it. So it'll probably jump up again. Perfect. So 18 months ago, Bitcoin was back down at like 30 grand Australian dollars. And people were like, oh, well, obviously the, the pump's over. And now we now it's doubled in that period of time. And a lot of you would be saying, oh, well, if it's at $70,000 now, I'm not going to buy it on, on a, at the peak. But here's what happened with the housing market. Someone who bought a house for $30,000 back in the 80s, then sold that house during the 90s for $180,000. And anyone would have thought buying that house would have been buying it at the peak. Now that house is probably worth $1.2 million. Do you know what's funny? I had this realisation. So I, my local coffee shop will sell me a coffee using the Lightning Network. So I, I, I pay for my coffees in Bitcoin every yep. day. Okay, five a week. Um, it's been free. So you know when people mm. talk about the cost of living? Yeah. 
and basically take 30% of your worth, your, your, your uh, 30, the 30% increase, the so 30% of the money that you used to have is now gone yeah. into all the other shit. Mm-hmm. Well, Bitcoin was an example that I'm using on a daily basis that hedged against it to the point where I paid nothing for it because That's right. the Bitcoin price is so much higher than 30%. It's effectively been free. That's right. And be- you know, all we've spoken about for the last 12 months has been the high inflation environment that we are in. And the only way that you can hedge against inflation is by having assets, by putting your fiat money, which is deflating every single day, into hard assets, which will naturally increase in value over time as the value of the Australian dollar decreases against that asset. So those assets can be precious metals, gold, silver, etc. They can be property, property they can be collectible cards or they can be crypto but whatever it is that you want to to go in do your research on it and do it now and at least at least have some like the best thing about crypto is it's not like the share market you don't have to have $500 at a time to be able to buy shares you can literally buy $30 worth of bitcoin today if you want to like you can get in with small amounts of money and just start accruing your stack over time and this is not financial advice. This is what I'm personally uh, seeing in the future. I'm buying Bitcoin now in small amounts because I believe that if I hold on to it, and I'll use some of it, absolutely, but if I hold on to the majority of it for the next 30 years, that that Bitcoin boom is going to be the housing bubble, the housing boom that my generation was not able to get in on at, at early days. Let me paint people a little bit of a picture. So I, I, I do that dollar cost averaging too. So yep. I've got a I've got a, a set buy order, fifty bucks a week. Yep. Week in, week out. But I've mentioned on the show before, but I buy Bitcoin for the nephews. I have three nephews now. You you're two and plus Tasha sides one. Mm-hmm. And I don't buy presents because I think presents are wasteful, they're not gonna remember it. Yep. So I buy him hundred bucks worth of Bitcoin. Now, your oldest one, I've put. Now it's an odd figure. Don't ask me why. Seven hundred eighty-six bucks since twenty at the since January twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. I've put seven hundred eighty dollars in for him. Today's, if he was to sell his Bitcoin today, sixteen hundred and thirty-two dollars. There you go. Okay, and now I'll give you an even shorter time frame. One of the other ones, he's much younger. Mm-hmm. He just turned one. He's got 300 in. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's currently worth $422. Yeah. And the last, uh, it was only just his birthday uh, days ago. So I only just put some in. So they're killing it. Now, they're killing it. On the flip side, if you kept that $300 in uh, a bank account, that $300 in cash terms is probably only worth $250 today. Yeah. Yep. So you can either lose all your money by leaving it in fiat or you can research and invest your money into some assets that can at least hold your value as the Australian dollar deflates against it. Because don't forget too, we are in an inflationary period. However, the Reserve Bank targets inflation at 2 to 3% per year. That's where they target it. They will it's always. Inherent. It's built into the system to, defa- to de- uh, uh, devalue. That's it's right. Built into the system. Exactly. So 
theoretically speaking, with a um, finite resource like Bitcoin, for example, if you bought it today, it should increase in value by two to three percent every year that you hold it. Theoretically. Yep. yep. So, yeah, we're we're gonna do. We'll call it Crypto Corner. We have Conspiracy Corner and yep. Crypto Corners on the other side of the room. Yeah. Although some people will probably put them both under the same corner. <laughs> Synergies. Uh, yeah, because I I do me personally, I want to be able to prepare for the twenty twenty five bull run, which is coming. Yeah, boy. Beautiful. All right, guys, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us. We will see see you next week. <laughs>